can I say I won't give it up? A.D. Adams, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me, brother. <laughs> I know I met you. You know, we, we have a bunch of mutual friends. We've done some of the same gigs and, and uh, shows. With, we were just talking about Otto's show. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, nice to see you. Thanks for yeah. making some time. And I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to hearing about kind of how you got to the drums and some of the different things you've been doing. But I like to start with maybe an early record that really spoke to you or the music that was being played in your house growing up that was inspiring was where can we start there yeah yeah (laughs) that's a great place to start man Uh, did you grow up here by the way no no i grew up i was born uh right outside up in michigan right outside detroit my dad was in uh and he actually right out of college he put himself through through uh school and went into broadcasting oh wow and uh ended up at university of michigan and that's sort of born up there, and then Ann Arbor, uh, or uh, yeah, right. Well, yeah, Ann yeah. Arbor, Detroit area. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And then um, when I was two, moved down to Washington D.C. and grew up in that area. So, okay. Um, but my dad being in in uh, in that area at, at that time, and I'm old, you know. I, I was born in 1950, freaking nine. What? Yeah, happy days are here you again, do. right? You know the Fonz, <laughs> yeah. you know, Arnold's oh, a little yeah. bit. Oh no shit. Yeah, yeah. too. It hurts a little, but uh, we can do. So uh, yeah, but my dad, man, and, and mom, they were a young couple. You know, my yeah. mom was 21 when when I was born, and they were still going to the out Friday night and. Getting us, ba- getting a babysitter, and going out dancing. Yeah, so, in Detroit. Yeah, and and DC. And, and DC when yeah. they moved, so they were still, they were you know uh, high school sweethearts, and wow. and they loved to dance. And cool. so my dad was bringing home all these records. He worked at an AM radio station, but he was bringing home Sam and Dave, Sam Cooke, uh, wow. you know, Little Richard, wow. you know, all the great stuff. And I, that was my mother's milk was was. You know, little Richard, and 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 you know, he says shotgun. I mean, at the yeah. top of his lungs. And my dad, mom didn't play an instrument, but that that soul music was always in the house. Yeah, he built his own hi-fi cool. system, and and man, that record player was sacred ground. You don't touch dad's records, and it, and it probably stayed warm. You know it, what I mean? It did, man. It, it was <laughs> if he was home from work, there was a record spinning. Yeah, it was just really. A really cool backdrop yeah. to have because it was, and he'd be bopping. My mom would they be bopping around? They didn't walk. They kind of uh-huh. strutted, danced around the house. You know, Love it was it. really cool. So it was always, uh, always that music playing, just just constantly. You yeah. know, and it was soul music and it was rhythmic and and uh, and then I remember uh, on Sunday nights we'd uh, we'd get together. There was another young couple, the Twigs, Mister and Missus Twig, and they had two boys, this uh, age of my my older brother and myself, exactly the same age. So they were friends. They you know they yeah. got cool young couples with two boys, and every Sunday they'd get together, and it was uh, it was Disney, then Lassie. Than Sullivan, you oh, know, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. so one weekend we'd be, you know, barbecuing at their house. Next weekend they'd be barbecuing it at our place, awesome. you know, and so on and so on. I remember one time it's, it's typical, typical, yeah. but you know, with the music going in the house and and the kids were playing around and you know we'd we'd, we'd be good for Disney and Lassie, but Sullivan, eh, you know, I'm I'm four, right. I'm five, right. you know, who cares? Right. But, right. but that one February in 1964, brother, just ask you, you know, it was just live and it was you. on TV oh and God. I saw it happen and Whoa. it was a game, dude. 
you talk about weird memories. You know, I can't remember what even my shoes I'm wearing right now. Right, right. But I remember that moment Whoa. like it was yesterday, and it was just a game changer. It just lit me up, and I'm looking at Ringo just going, yeah. Oh. And the girls, even my mom was freaking out. And, you know, huh. I'm looking around the room and going, what is going What is yeah. this? What is you this? Know, what is this? And yeah. Never seen anything, heard any sounds like that. And I'm watching the girls on TV losing their minds. And yeah. I'm thinking my little four, four and a half year old, almost five year old brain's going, I don't know what this is. But I want to know. I, I need to like, know. Yeah. I need to know what this is. And Ringo looked like he was having the most fun. Yeah. And I just locked into that and I went, that looks cool. I want to do that. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's from there, you know. The rest is all yeah. downhill. <laughs> Su- suffer the masses after that. <laughs> I have a lot of apologizing to do after that. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, Ringo's playing. I mean, I and I've seen that clip obviously, and and I, I mean, they all look like they're having a ball. But something about Ringo's energy, yeah, was just infectious. It was, and and you know. I didn't know what it was. Mm. Uh, you know, it was a language I'd never heard, but it sure didn't need any interpreting. You know, it yeah. was like it. I something like it just hit me hard, and I'm sure there's a million kids. You know, that was the night that launched launched a. a, a uh, 10 million bands. Uh, I mean, yes. what kids that age didn't see that. Right. And just go, that, that's what I'm doing. And right. it was just, you know, sort of the, I was one of many, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah. my folks were kind enough to, you know, they were like, well, we'll get you lessons. And I was into Little League ball and, you know, it was like summer, summer was baseball, spring and summer were baseball and then fall and winter were drum lessons. I did it for two years or so six months each Hated the lessons. Yes, uh, it was stupid, and I didn't want anything to do with it. And what were they trying to teach you, like rudiments or yeah, what? Yeah, they were right. Right. You know, I teach now, so they were right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Everything you tried to teach me, he was right. I was right. wrong. Right. So it's just I was a know-it-all little eight-year-old. He was like, uh, I don't need that yeah, stuff. Yeah, but that's. But but again, that's not the reason. That's not the thing that connected you to the instrument in the first place. It wasn't the rudiment. It was the groove. It was the feeling, the emotion, the fun. Yeah. Yeah. And like, who's having a ton of fun? To doing rudiments. Yeah, just teach me Dizzy by Tommy Rowe. Right. You know, let, let yeah. me go. I, I can get it from there. Yeah. You know? Do you see any, I mean, there are clearly some musical connections between, say, Little Richard and, and kind of that groovy, dancey stuff, swingy, soul thing, and that early Beatles stuff. Do you think, or at least, I think that that was kind of a linchpin in a way, that the, the way the Beatles maybe smoothed out some of the edges and made it a little bit more palatable? I mean, is that all bullshit? No, I don't think it's bullshit at all. As a matter of fact, there was part of the element of the soul music of Little Richard was it was dangerous. Mm-hmm. And when they came out with their, you know, mop tops, and that Matching was a little suits. dangerous. I mean, it was right. they were lovable lads, as we came to find out. But at the right. same time, that, was, that terrified a lot of people. Yeah. So to me, and, and listen, I still am attracted to the danger of it. Uh-huh. I, you know, going out on the road, yeah. you don't know what's going to happen. You know, living by the seat of your pants. When you're on the road, you're an island. Mm-hmm. And, you you know, you've got this insulated group of people. It's a gang. It, it really is. You and, and you're marauding, you're pirates. You're yeah. going from town to town, and you're going to get the loot. And right. you're going to go to the next town and get the loot. <laughs> and uh, so there's danger in that. Yeah. It's part. Maybe it's my gypsy blood. I don't know. But right. there's something very appealing about yeah. that still. Right. And I think, it, like, get, uh, getting back to what you, you the initial question yeah absolutely there's there's i think that the common thread there is a little bit of the mystery a little bit of the danger mm. of it and and of course it's pure energy right you know but yeah i think i think it's always i think rock and roll 
by definition is dangerous. If it's not dangerous, I don't think it's rock and roll. Yeah. And I think a lot of stuff that might not be considered quote unquote rock and roll, I would put it in that category just because of the danger mm-hmm. factor of it. Mm-hmm. I, I That's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah. You know? It's funny that you bring up <clears throat> their haircuts because when you when we look back now and, and we have the perspective of, of history and time and what the 60s eventually looked like, those haircuts were edgy, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. But, but as you say, it was a little bit dangerous. It wasn't as, say, reckless as the Stones, but it was the beginning of the 60s and the look. And they soon ditched the suits, you know, and psychedelics. And, you know, so it's, just, it's interesting when you think and you look at, say, rock and roll, what that look is now and how it has evolved. Just the aesthetic of rock and roll, how it's changed over the years you know, they really started a trend with their haircuts. I, they started a Many lot trends. of... Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I mean, when you really break it down, you think about between 1964 and 1970, yeah. it was over. Right. Six years, as, as far as the world knew. I mean, there's, you know, they're pre, you know, pre-Sullivan years. Everybody knows about that and their yeah. solo careers and, you know, speak for themselves. But six years man yeah. a lot happened in that six years Ton think about output, that all the records what do they do put out six what five six albums in yeah. 66 alone or five 65 66 and just the range of what that music was it, they didn't stick in the i want to hold your hand vibe they they kept evolving and i look at that kind of evolution the same way i look at, uh, at a band like radiohead um pablo honey versus pick a you know hail to the thief or the most re- recent record, that evolution is is insane. Is insane. However, they they're doing this in tw- what twenty years, whereas yeah. the Beatles did it in six. Yeah, yeah. I mean that it's just that's incredible. with with no template. Right, right. right. And nothing came before that, so right. there's nothing even to to build that on. <clears throat> yeah. And the ideas came across on two track and four track as well. Right. Up until they you know they really splurged and you know uh, EMI finally got them the eight track. Right. That uh, they had to go. What did, they, what did they have to go? They actually recorded at a different studio. Trident. Oh, really? For a little while, they're like, "Well, they have an eight track." Uh huh. And then, uh, get your yeah, EMI went and got an eight track. Like, hey, we got one now. So they scampered back. <laughs> Thank you. You know, <laughs> good move, guys. <laughs> but yeah, man. It, I mean, it was just it, it overwhelmed me. But but it was still the rhythm. It was still the the old soul drummers that that mm. that really moved me. You know, I mean, you take Clyde Stubblefield, mm. you know, or Jabo Starks or those cats. I mean. They were laying it down, or Benny Benjamin, or, or you know, uh, uh, Pistol Allen, you know, some of the Motown cats. Mm. I mean, that beat, it's it's simple, but mm-hmm. it's still infectious. And you can't listen to the Four Tops without, mm. you know, putting mm. a little bounce in wherever you're doing, you yeah. know? I mean, it, to me, that's the infectious stuff. That's what I grew up on. Yeah. And uh, oh, it, was, it was really cool because my dad was such a huge Sam and Dave fan. I mean, uh-huh. just huge. And I was doing Otto's yeah. radio show. This was about four years ago, five years ago. And while we were doing the interview, uh, Sam Moore from Sam and Dave yeah. called. Yeah. And and Otto's like, it's Sam Moore. I can, do you mind if I put him on? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> oh are you? God. And I was like telling him, like, my dad would freak out. My dad uh, right now would be shitting his pants yeah, right now if he yeah. knew I was talking to you. Crazy. But it was really cool how it came full circle. So yeah. I was able to say, hey, dude. You know, thanks, man. Thank yeah. you for that. Because you really, you know, that that dad's hi-fi, that vinyl that he was spinning 24-7 was so infectious. 
And it just, it's still in me, you know, it's yeah. still, it's still coursing through my veins, which is really cool, you know, so I was not only raised on, on music, I was raised on good music, you know, yeah. good Detroit music and yeah. good soul music. And Were I, your folks from Detroit? Uh, the, that whole area, yeah. yeah. The, if you go from Detroit to Grand Rapids, yeah. that whole corridor, yeah. you're going to run into some of my family, bean no farmers, cattle farmers, yeah, yeah, potato farmers. So they were heavy into Motown then. I mean, because that's that was like their local. Well, I know my dad was, and yeah. my my uncle Fred, and and my uncle Lenny. You know, so yeah. those between those three, I got my education from yeah. those cats. You know, Grand Rapids, just P.S. Super cool town. I, we went there for the first time, I think within the last year at some point, or maybe even this year. Like I could I like this town. It's super cool. It's a great town. Yeah. yeah. Relatives in Greenville, uh Belding area. Uh-huh. Um, we used to go when we were kids to the Ionia Free Fair up there. Saw Doc Severinsen one time playing in the grandstands. It was wow. like awesome. Cool. You know, is that that was my first uh you know, besides watching Johnny Carson show, watching, you know, live jazz band, wow. which fascinated me. Yeah. You know, I was like, holy shit, like, whoa. Yeah. And drummer's just doing gymnastics up there. Yeah. And it wasn't your rock and roll. So it, it kind of kind of then spurred me into a whole nother category where, you know, I got a little older and a little, you know, a little bit more curious about what's going on. And, you know, when rock and roll was rock and roll, and we're, now we're talking 70s, you know, Sabbath and Zeppelin and Alice Cooper Group and all, uh-huh, you know, New York yeah. Dolls, Mott the Hoople, Slade, that kind of stuff. But uh, it really interested me, like, like I, I started checking out, like, Cab Calloway, mm. you know, and I'm thinking, well, well that's rock and roll. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the guy's talking about heroin and singing about hashish and, yeah. you know, passing the gong around. And, you know, it's like, wait a minute, this is, this is dangerous. That's dangerous, this is, too. You know? yeah. and, 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 and Louis Prima, Louis Armstrong, those cats, you know, Louis Jordan. So I, I, I you know, having seen the Doc Severinsen thing there at the Free Fair when I was you know, probably 10, wow. uh, it spurred me to, to explore other. And that's how I got into Buddy Rich you know, oh, and geez. Gene Krupa and all those cats. Yeah. So... I'm one of these people that I, I see something, I dig, and I go, okay, what came before it? Mm-hmm. What, you know, what did it come from? Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I'm the explorer that goes backwards. Yeah. Kind of. The dismantler, if you will. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I got to take this apart. Yeah. What, what, what are the pieces that made this? Yeah. Thing? Yeah. yeah. I, I dig this. So I got to know what's, what's in it. Yeah. You know, you know I want to, maybe I can make it myself or yeah. do another version of it or something. You yeah. Know? Add this. Take this away. <laughs> yeah, I've always know, been. Kind of yeah, always been curious like that. I, I that, matter of fact, that's how I teach. My when I I've been teaching drums for about thirty four years, wow. and that's what I do. I dismantle things. I say, you know, Neil Peart, you know, is an amazing drummer. But when you break down, if you literally dismantle what he's done, there's nothing you you can't play. Mm-hmm. And if you just do it and and you know organize it mm. and learn each part, subdivide the 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 bits and mm-hmm. slap them back together. Oops, you're accidentally playing it. And so, you know, um, I'm the same with Roots, you know, Roots of Music and and where did it come from and what records, what did they have in their record collection? Right. Big fan of that. Yeah. I'm a vinyl freak. I've got about 3,500 vinyl albums. So it's, it's. You have a whole room. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's a pretty big wall full of them. It's it's nuts. And everything's in there from, you know, Sensational Alex Harvey Band to Sex Pistols to Sinatra. Wow. 
my like my Hank Aaron album, Hank Aaron hitting his 715th home run. No kidding. It sits right next to ABBA, who sits right next to Accept. Uh-huh. You, you get wow. it, you know, Bowie, nice. you know, the whole bit. So <laughs> it's all in there, man. Love it. Yeah, Kenny Rogers and right next to the Ramones, you know, wow. whatever. It's, That's it. Yeah, so I'm just a big fan of, of music. You know, it's, it's the old cliche, there's two kinds of music, good music and bad music. So I, I like everything. Yeah. You know, from Marty Robbins' Gunslinger album, it's an amazing record if you've never heard it. I haven't. Oh, my God. Huh. Classic. It's as good as it gets. Huh. Yeah. Um, let's go back. So you're, you're, doing, you're doing spring ball, spring and summer ball, and then rudiments, and you're, you're a young kid. You're in D.C. Did you do, uh, well, did you decide to pr- pursue the lessons? Did you get into school band? Like, what was that in-between moment for Yeah, you? you know, I was still, you know, I've always had that. Uh, what's the old saying? I, I wouldn't ever be a part of a club that would have me in it. Um, <laughs> I, I don't do well in groups, in, in, in organized groups, although I'm a drummer in, in, in every, every band in the history of the world, <laughs> right. it seems like. <laughs> but with that in mind, it's just, you know, I, I didn't like the lessons. I didn't think I was learning enough. So, you know, my older brother, he's a year older, he started playing guitar at the same time, and we started figuring out songs, Beatles songs, and, you know, things like that. And, uh, when did you get your first kit? I, well, I had to stay on the snare drum while I was taking lessons. They mm-hmm. wouldn't get me the kit. But then uh, when I was 10, uh, no, when I'm sorry, when I was nine uh, for Christmas, my dad said, if you can, whatever money you come up with, I'll match it. Cool. So there was this kid out back, had the sh- it was the shittiest <laughs> drum set in the history of drum sets, man. Frankenstein. But, all yeah, the uh, there was a big shape. hole where right. the tom mount used to be, and, and it wasn't cut. It was right. just snapped out, you know, just jagged edges. And, but it was blue sparkle, and I wanted it. Yeah. And then uh, so I think I paid 50 bucks. I mowed a couple of lawns, and Dad, right. Dad threw a 50 in there and nice. brought it home. And uh, that was it. You know, I started playing that thing, and I, I loved it. You know, I... Uh, I just beat that thing silly, and I'd add, you know, I, I found a snare, an old snare drum at a uh, at a yard sale, and I wanted another tom, so I, I didn't have a stand for it, so I literally took a, a drill and bolted it into the tom next to it, and it was just hanging there off the other tom. But now I had two toms. That's and funny. I was I was a king of something, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So so garage bands kind of through high school, or yeah. No, it was just me and my brother. Yeah. You know, we kind of started doing that. The, f- the first time we ever played live, we played at the uh, fifth and sixth grade lunch. And, and uh, when I was in fifth grade, Jeff was in sixth. And uh, we said, hey, we had a little band. It was me and him and a little kid down the street, Sandy Burr. And uh, Matt, Matt Teets, our bass player, we called him Mott. And, uh, and uh, we, the vice principal said, well, you can play, but you have to play Sonny. You know, that song, Sonny, we're like, all right, whatever. So we thought we'd do that, but just to flip the bird. And of course, was, I, I started doing this early. I still do. I'm just a belligerent son of a bitch. But we said, okay, we'll play that. But we're going to play the ballad of uh, John and Yoko just to balance it out. And of course, the lyric, Christ, you know, it ain't easy, you know. And so yeah. we, we did that uh-huh. and upset her tremendously, Yeah, um, which was awesome for a first gig, being told you're not going to play here again. Right, so I'm right. like, this is awesome. Career path chosen. <laughs> That's right. So. That's right. <laughs> you know, we just kind of put that little band together, and it grew. Um, 
I, I was in that band with my brother till I was 27 years old. Wow. And we toured all over the country, got signed and dropped by every record label on the planet. No kidding. Um, and yeah, that was it. That was literally the only band I was ever in up until I was 27 years old. And you were still based out of D.C.? Yep, based out of D.C., yep, and out of our bedroom, you yeah. know, in our basement. What was the name of that band? Well, it started off, we were the Saturn Five. Ooh. Yeah, that was in, okay. uh, that was when our big debut gig where, you know, uh-huh. and uh, <laughs> then we were the Crimson Key and that was awesome because uh, Skip Skipworth, our guitar player's brother, painted like this devil guy on our bass drum and it was like, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, it was Monarch, changed it to Monarch and that's the band that ended up doing doing really well. And all original stuff? Uh, no, no, we started off doing covers just to get the gigs, and then we yeah. we were kind of one of the first bands, local bands, out of D.C. to actually tour the East Coast. Most bands would get their circuit in town, mm-hmm. and we're like, well, I want to I want to play in New York, I want to play in uh, Delaware, I want to play. So we started going up and down the East Coast, West Coast. Um, we had a booking agent that that was able to reach out and get some some shows for us and yeah. all of a sudden we're up in Maine and we're down in Florida and we're out in St. Louis and living the dream like okay you know and um, this is like you know I'm in high school still you know wow. 16 my first club gig I was we were 14 I was 14 Jeff was 15 wow and I just walked in with a cassette tape that we you know put in the middle of our bedroom when right, we were playing right. you know that's probably a humble pie tune and uh <clears throat> that was our demo and I went into this nightclub at the beach down in Ocean City Maryland called the Heron Club and I, oh, I want to play a club. So you're not old enough. Ah, oh, yes, I am. How old are you? I'm 18. It's like I was 14. <laughs> he knew it. But I put the, he actually listened to our little demo, hit yeah. play, and he goes, all right, you little fuckers. <laughs> and so we got an eight, we did eight shows, uh, seven nights in a row, six hours a night. Damn. And then a, a matinee on Sunday for four hours. Wow. And we did it and they loved us and they had us back. So that wow. was the beginning of that whole thing and a booking agent you know caught our name so by the time i was 16 we were taking our uh our uh what do you call it this uh summer vacations and tr- just traveling and then we wow. go back to school for junior year senior year by then my brother's out of school and he's good to go but i got you know i got to get through my senior year which is you know, <laughs> really tough but you know we're by then we're you know i knew exactly what i was going to be doing so, wow yeah and what did your folks think of all this they were cool you know that you know they love music and <clears throat> they were like you know obviously disappointed when you know college was not in, you know they're two eldest you know, there's, I have a young, I have a sister and a brother younger. Um, when their two eldest went, now nah, we're going to not go to college. Cause you know, my folks were poor growing up. My, my mom didn't have indoor plumbing, wow. um, in high school. And my dad's father was a runaway, um, at 14 and he grew up on farms just trying to make ends meet. So wow. dad was self-made mom and dad were self-made. We came from poverty and then he's, got college and he, now we're doing okay, you know, kind of the American dream. Yeah. And here come his little two little fucking kids going, now ah, we're not going to do that, you know? And, and so, but they, they're like, go for it. Yeah. Do it. That's awesome. And, uh, they're still mom, you know, they're split, but they're both still alive. And, uh, there's my biggest fans, man. Cool. They still, they still support me no matter what I do. Um, you know, half the time my dad's going, I can't believe you got away with this shit for this <laughs> like, you know, that a boy, yeah, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, you know, they, they come see me when I'm, when I'm traveling in, uh, in their neck of the woods and nice. it's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. My, one of my questions was going to be, I mean, how would you, how would you even book a tour back in the day? I mean, I remember making cassette demos and 
putting a little kit together and sending it off to a club and hopefully they called you and if you were home you got it and it, you know that the whole logistics of that looking back i'm like how did anything get fucking done well, it was the old school promo pack remember they had right. the eight by ten and then yep. you had the cover sheet talking about the band then you had your set list because they wanted you to do covers man they, yeah. they always thought about the dance floor but back then a lot of the east coast circuit you're playing six hours a night it that's was insanity it was and you'd play five six nights in a row and you'd you'd play an hour on 20 minutes off hour on 20 minutes off and it was brutal, but we, but you did it, you right. know, and that, but you know what? It made you better. Yeah. It made your band good. It made you play good. It, 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 you really understood hard work. There was yeah. a work ethic back then. And then, you know, you got to get to your next gig and you're driving like a maniac cause you got 10 hours and it's a 12 hour drive, uh. you know? So we, we really learned how to, we grew up on the road, yeah. you know, but you know, to get those gigs, you do the promo kit and then maybe... We're like, well, we want to play, you know, we want to play Delaware because you know, our agency pretty much, they go as far north as Baltimore. And then when you're in Baltimore, you're kind of stepping on somebody else's turf, uh-huh. you know? And we're like, well, we want to play in Delaware. We want to play in Dover and we want to play in Philly. Well, I can't help you. And then and I was the guy, I'm the, I'm the, I don't take no for an answer guy. It's like, well, I'll call some agents up there and we'll get it with them. We well, can't do that. I said, you don't have an exclusive up there. So I'll just go ahead and bypass you. You know, and, and and then it got to be where they quote unquote shared paper, where he he'd called. I go, well, I got the number of the guy I'm just about to call. You want to call him? You're going to make the money, right? You know, right. so why don't you book the gig? Why why would you not book the gig? So we're up in Delaware and we're in Philly, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, I want to play in New York, New York, now. yeah. I want to play in Boston. I want to play in Portland, Maine, and yeah. you know, uh, Hartford, Connecticut, and you know, what about you know, what about uh, Miami? Let's go down there, you know. <laughs> And I was painting his ass, but I, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. It's just like, if you're not going to do it, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I've always been that guy. You yeah. know, it's like, if you want it done and somebody else not, you know, you can't hire somebody to do it, get it done. Right. Just do it. And, and you know, make them say no. And right. if they say no, then you go, okay, I'm apparently talking to the wrong guy and I'll find the guy to say yes. Right. And right. I'm just kind of a pain in the ass that way. <laughs> so what, what, what years is this? Is this is, you said 70s, so late so, 70s maybe? This or? would be, yeah, the whole thing started early 70s, late 60s, like 69 probably, mm-hmm. the whole little get-together thing. And then uh, yeah, I graduated high school in 77, so yeah, mm-hmm. that's when it really took off. Um, we really started traveling, and we, we, did, we did really well. We, we did a lot of work. Uh, we played, you know, we played with you. We were Chuck Berry's backup band. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, we played with him. Oh, um, as kids. Oh, we were babies, yeah, and and it was uh, it was the greatest. It was the best gig, you know, the coolest. I mean, playing with Chuck Berry, literally yeah. being Chuck Berry's drummer, but it was a nightmare too. I mean, it was it was. If somebody says, "What was your the gig you're most proud of?" Probably that was one of them, you know. But uh, which gig would you rather never have done? That would also be one of them. That's funny. Yeah, he did. It was a weird thing, man. He gets up and he's doing his duck walk, and he's you know we're 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 well into it. Well, first of all, we we played this club. Um, called the Joint in the Woods, and uh, where was it? Orlando, outside oh, okay. Orlando, and um, we were playing a Friday, Saturday. So we, you know, we had a, it was a big, big club. It was probably eight hundred seats, if not more. And uh, we played Friday night, and then after we're done, the club owner walked up and handed us a Chuck Berry's Greatest Hits cassette tape. He goes, "Well, you guys are gonna be out by the pool probably tomorrow. Make sure you know these because Chuck's coming in. And you're gonna be playing with them." Like that's the notice that we had. 
but it's the stuff me and my brother grew up with. So we're like, mm-hmm. bring it on, dude. Yeah. You know, so uh, Chuck comes in the next day. We're doing our first set. And, you know, the crowd parts like Moses part in the Red Sea. And there comes Chuck right down the middle of the auditorium. with a, He's carrying his guitar case and the dude in back of him is carrying his amp. Wow. And uh, so they, we took a break with this, ah, uh, oh, man, small little shithole dressing room, a foam booth basically is 10 by 10. And we're all sitting down and Chuck makes his entrance and says, I'm Chuck Berry. You're basically not. Um, these are my songs. Uh, you should know them. So I'm going to assume that you do. Uh, if there's any mistakes that are made up there, it ain't me. Um, he laid down the law and said, so you follow, you look and you listen and let's go. So we went up there, and I thought it was going great. I mean, as a matter of fact, it was going great. It was, we were killing it, man. Yeah. And I'm just having a blast, and, you know, he's doing his solos, and goes into his thing. You watch him, and he's like, fuck, Chuck, fucking Barry. I'm looking at my brother, and he's up there banging out the rhythm on the guitar, and he's just like, will you look at us, you know, yeah. kind of thing. And and uh, we had already played uh, Roll Over Beethoven, and we're in the middle of playing Nadine. Nadine, honey, yeah. is that you? Um and he starts scatting, bleed blah da bleed blah blah blah. Like, and I'm like, whoa, oh, something's weird. And he's looking back at me and yelling something. I can't, and he's because he's off the mic. And he's singing again and yelling at me again. And he's off, and I'm like, oh shit. And he like daggers and he takes two steps, walks right toward me, goes, What was I singing? And I'm going, Oh shit, Nadine. And I'm still too good, you know, Nadine, Chuck Nadine. You know, and I think that's it, you know. And He's pissed, and he's not having it. He's like, what fucking song was I singing? And he shut it down. He stopped the band, turned around, and read me the riot act uh. in, in, the, uh, in the microphone in front of everybody. He fucked, uh. he fucked up. He started. He went back in to roll over Beethoven, and I'm like, no, Nadine. And he dressed me up and down like this drummer, this piece of shit. Wow. Fucking dude, it was sucked. Sucked, man. I'm, and I was, I was crying. I literally broke into tears. I'm like... I'm, what, 19 years old. I'm playing with Chuck Bissett, Dream Come True, and he's ripping me to shreds in front of 800 people. It was a sold-out house, and, and I just was like, this is fucking, I just hate you so much, Chuck Berry. <laughs> and what a drag. <clears throat> what a drag. It's like they say, what, don't don't ever meet your idols. Yeah, you know? yeah. And you hear really great examples of, you know, a buddy meeting this legend, and, and they're a total sweetheart, and you're like, oh, thank God. Mm-hmm. And then you hear those sorts of stories, yeah. and you're like, "Come on, man!" Yeah, for real. It was it crushed me, dude. I mean, I still think about that, and I go, "How dare you?" Yeah, I worked my little 19 year old ass off for you, yeah. you know. And we put it together, and I thought we put, played a pretty darn good jo- show. Yeah, you know. Period. Somewhere that's on tape. We recorded it that night, and I think it's at my dad's house, and somewhere in a box in his basement. I swear to God, that tape is. Oh we made that tape. Because we had a four-track uh, reel-to-reel with us, we took on the road, and we recorded that you night. Have so, to find. I do. It's my life's. To. That's my life's work now. As oh I got to find God. that. I know, dude. Holy I would shit! Kill them. I'll, re- I'll release that too. <laughs> yeah. Oh hell yeah! I'll put that on. <laughs> yeah, put that on iTunes. Yeah, sell a million copies. Yeah. How does a 19-year-old ego get over that? Ah, or, or, or were you young enough that it kind of just goes over you and you're like, well, fuck this. I'm going to move on. No, you know? it, it hurt, man. Yeah. It stung. It, it hurt me for a long time. It, yeah. it really bothered it to this day. I mean, I'm not scarred from it, but I think back and I go, that was that was horrible. That was Can horrible you imagine thing. doing something like that to a, 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 19, no. a 19-year-old kid no. who, who you never rehearsed with, you know, assuming that they know the tunes and... 
and then chew them out on stage. And flat out, flat out, the guy went into the wrong song, you know, and I'm telling him, you know, so yeah, it, it fucked with my head for a while, you yeah. know? Um, but, you know, then you start seeing reviews, you know, back then you'd, you'd get a review in the local paper the next day after they come see your show and stuff like that. And, you know, my brother would sit me down and he was the calm one. I'm, I'm the, you know, second child, <laughs> a little more emotional. And uh, he was all, he'd read, you know, the, the review and he goes, see, this part's really good. They like this part. And they go, yeah, but they called us, they called us bare chested clones and, you know, bare-chested, vested mop tops or something. And I go, that's, that's what, and he goes, do you really give a fuck? Right. I mean, dude, you had a great time, right? What are you going to do tonight? You do the same thing. Nobody gives right. a fuck. Right. And he kind of just, like, you know, it helped to. Let it go. Yeah, let, let it, it all go. go. He yeah. was really good at that. And I wasn't. And I got better at it. So yeah. now I don't, I don't, it doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> what is it? Uh, as long as they spell your name right, right. Bad, bad press is better than no press. That's exactly right. Yeah, so. What happens after the infamous Chuck Berry incident? Well, we just, you know, sallied forth and carried on. And, uh, you know, we ended up doing really well when a local battle of the bands and that helped us. And um, and you're still based in D.C. at this yeah, point. Yeah, we're still okay. in D.C. Uh, finally, this this big, huge concert promoter from New England saw us play uh, after this battle of the bands thing. He ended up, uh, he put us on the cover of Performance Magazine, which was a big deal at the time. 
and he managed us for a couple of years. He, um, we were unmanageable. <laughs> we had found the joys of, of, of LSD and cocaine. Um, and, you know, it's even more joyous when you add, you know, copious amounts of alcohol. So we were literally unmanageable. We were, we were sort of, if you were raised by wolves and then brought into society, that was us. And we were, we were unmanageable. He's right. He actually, though, he's in prison right now in, in Miami. <laughs> There's an episode. Do you know the TV show, uh, um, The Fugitives? Not the not, not the, the show, The Fugitive. Yeah. It, it was it was part of an offshoot of American Greed. Okay. Uh, he made an episode of that. Wow. Yeah, he was. It was trippy. Not, not a good dude. Yeah. So that's the guy who says we're unmanageable. Right. So, you right, know, whatever right. Ponzi scheme thing, and <laughs> oh. he hiled it, hightailed it to I don't know Brazil for a few years, and. <laughs> They're like, you know, they wouldn't extradite him. And they're like, you know, you can't have, well, he's making money for us down here. And then he fucked up down there. and like, all right, you can have him back. And <laughs> so he's in prison, I think, in Miami right oh now. Oh, my God. Yeah, so that, you know, that we pissed away that. And then, uh, um, you know, we pissed away a lot. <laughs> we yeah. were just incorrigible. We were living yeah. the dream. And, you know, we, we were writing a bunch of great songs. And we, you know, put out a single. Uh, that was it. Um, Warner Brothers was courting us uh, through a friendship with through Ronnie Dio. I don't know if you're Ronnie. Oh yeah, sure. Um, and and he and his uh, a, f- a dear friend of ours, uh, Richie Blackmore's ex-wife Sue Davis was was taking a hand in, in leading us around and introduced us to Ronnie. And Ronnie loved us. Um, wow, and, legend. Yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. Super good, really cool dude. Um, and we, you know, we. Pissed that away. We were just, we were drunk and high, you know, and, and that wasn't cool then, mm. you know, it was cool in the early seventies when we, you know, Sabbath was lighting their drummer on fire and, you know, <laughs> things like that. Yay. That was fun. You know, but it wasn't as fun in the mid eighties, you know, it's just, it didn't carry, you That's know, right. it didn't carry on as well. So it got to the point where I just, you know, we realized that it was just, that was, we were about the end. We did everything we could do and I was getting restless and uh, I got an opportunity to play with a band called Dirty Looks. Um, ended up signed with Atlantic and did a bunch of records with them. I, I quit the band before that, um, did their first album. And then, uh, but you know, by then I was like, junkie i was a full-on you mm. know cocaine heroin junkie mm. drunk you know mm. and uh functionally getting by somehow um but i ended up running there was a club in washington dc that we played a lot called the bayou it was a really large what they call an a club and um they had a lot of you know a-list bands come through there and uh my band having sold the place out time and time again, I could just call up and go, Hey, I hear, you know, uh, the runaways are playing, you know, and I get in for free. Mm. So it was one night when, uh, Iggy pop was playing and, you know, couldn't get in cause the uh, fire marshal, they were already coded out. They's like, not one more person walks mm. in. Well, it just so happens the monitor tech didn't show up that night. So I get a call, Hey, you know how to run monitors? I'm like, yes, I do. <laughs> I'd never run a monitor in my life. I just wanted to see Iggy. So I got in, I ran sound, I ran uh, monitors for Iggy and it went off without a hitch. You know, wow. I, I went in there and he showed me the mixer. I looked at it. He goes, you don't know what you're doing, do I go, no, thanks for the ticket though. I appreciate it. <laughs> and I got to see Iggy. It was awesome. And, uh, but I apparently did a really good job. So they hired me there. So I had quit playing drums for a minute or two, uh, for about a few years. I did that. I mean, I, I mixed everybody from the band to the Ramones or Todd Rundgren, um, 
God, uh, well, Iggy, um, I mean, you name it, they came through there and I was either running mains or monitors. So um, I did, uh, became friends with Sam Kinison through that gig. Um, uh, Sound like kindred spirits. Dude, it was, oh, you know, let me tell you, I scored heroin for Graham Chapman from Monty Python. That was awesome. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Pretty cool. Uh, you That's know, so it was, I loved it there, you know, and I'm not playing drums, but I'm still living the rock and right. roll lifestyle. I wasn't touring. It was just a, a way for me to exhale. Yeah. And I loved it. And then I ended up getting a an R&B gig. I ended up doing some shows with Patti LaBelle out with uh, a couple of bands, soul bands. Um, and uh, and at that point in time, I'm just, I'm losing my shit. I'm just getting more addicted and more addicted. And just, it was, I was, fun. again, never missed a gig. Right. Functioned. You wouldn't know that I was as high as I was. Wow. Um, and I was doing bigger shows like James Taylor and, and uh, other shows that, that, you know, larger shows and, and, uh, and I just, I, but I overdose, I ended up overdosing, uh, twice. And the second time I flatlined, um, I just was like, I gotta, I gotta get out of DC. And I literally threw a door. First time I called my dealer from, you know, after, you know, Hey, I'm out of the hospital. What do you got? Oh, yeah. You know, second time it bothered me. And, uh, that, um, that's what brought me to Phoenix. I really? went to a buddy of mine's house and I threw a dart at a, at a map. I put an Atlas up on his dartboard and threw a dart at a map and it landed near Phoenix. Huh. So I'm like, I'm moving to Phoenix, dude, and because uh, I just I don't want to die in D.C. I just don't want to die there. So I moved out here, when cleaned up. This? this was 92, wow. uh, August of 92. I mean, just when the Tempe music scene was kind of blowing up, right? It really was. It was a good time. You know, I, I once I had made my mind up that it was Phoenix, um, I subscribed to uh, the New Times and I started getting, uh, there was a couple other rags, you know, the little local mm -hmm. rock mags, subscribed to them. And started kind of plotting my course out here. So uh, I was out here for one day and ran into an old friend of mine from New York who I'd met years ago when I was probably 20 years old. Said, what are you doing out here? I'm like, what are you doing out here? He's like, I live out here. I live out here. And then it, from there, it just blossomed. I ended up, uh, you know, I knew somebody in town. Right. And it was nice, you know. Can you talk a little bit about separating the kind of rock and roll lifestyle, you know, and, and now doing it clean. Was that a challenge? No. No, it was easy. It was, you know, they say, you know, what are you going to regret on your deathbed? I'm going to regret having been so fucked up. I, mm -hmm. I just, I came up in a time when, you know, the front page of the newspaper, you know, Beatles, uh, try LSD. It was almost glorified. It was, mm. you know, it was experimental and it was uh, the culture back then. But I realized how little we got done, mm. you know, and uh, getting clean was one of the best things I ever did. It, it, it helped. There, was, there were a lot of instances that, that helped me to do that. And when I could see once I tried to get clean and make the effort, when other people were getting fucked up around me, it made me see, okay, you know, it was easier to step outside and look in and go, it's not, this is not a good thing, mm. you know? Mm. So I've, I've had no problem adjusting with it at all. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll have my, I'll just sip on my whiskey. Mm -hmm. Um, if, you know, uh, I've not, I, I'm not going to say I haven't done, I, I've done a bunch of gigs down in Mexico and somebody was laying out a couple big fat lines of Coke and I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? Mm. 
that was a one-off, mm. you know, first one in probably 25 years and the last one until, mm-hmm. you know, mm. there's no fear anymore and there's no addiction mm. anymore. So mm. I was able to face that down mm. um, somehow, you know, by all accounts, I shouldn't be here. Wow. You know, so. Wow. I would just imagine just, you know, kind of staying, living still in that, in that circle where it is abundant. It's always there, you know, but I, I, I get that, you know, when... When you're sober and you're and you and you're watching a, a a friend who's high or drunk or whatever, you're like I you can see how unattractive it is. Yeah, you can see yeah. how it's taking away from the thing that brought us all together in the first place, and that's music. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Being able to perform, play. You know, I play great when I'm high. Right. You know what? No, you don't. No, yeah. no, you don't. Right. And that's the thing. We, we, we got so caught up in that and it was, you know, it was cool. It was, it was what it was. And yeah. the drugs were so there, you know, yeah. so available. Yeah. And so you did them. Yeah. So you did them. And that's because that's what, that's what happened in Cream Magazine. Right. And that's what was happening in Hip Parader and Rolling Stone and the NME over in, in, in London, you know, and you read about this stuff and Keith Richards, what, Keith Richards still alive. Right. You know, he's still making great records, so... But so many of his ge- of his generation are gone. Yeah, you know, yeah. We just got suckered into the, 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 what we thought was the rock and roll lifestyle right. and just didn't... Not that we didn't see the danger. I just don't think we gave a shit. Right. I just don't think we cared. And, and it got to the point where the drugs and the booze became more important than the music that we were trying to make. Right. And so it was time for reset, you know, and when the drugs ended up almost killing me. I was just like, ah, you know what? I probably need to rethink this a little bit, huh. regage and re, you know, recalculate and then uh, keep it, keep it moving. And, and moving out to Phoenix, the best thing I ever did. I mean, I've met, you know, one, one of the first things I did out here was uh, a film soundtrack. I, I hadn't played drums in, in a while, but I had worked with a band um, on, on the East Coast right before I came out, a band called Centerfold, and it was a bass player from Kicks. I don't know if you remember a band called Kicks. I don't remember Kicks. We had a couple of hits in the uh, in the '80s, kind of a hair band thing, and uh, it was a little thing we did. And and um, but I didn't really play drums, but we had a bunch of songs that we had recorded, and we had our studio, and probably about um, I don't know, fifty or sixty songs. A brilliant songwriter, a guy named Robbie Galp, and. And uh, when I w- went to move, he goes, oh, you know, we're not going to do the band thing. He goes, just take the songs, take them all, whatever you can find to do with them. If you can get them published, use them, just get them out there. So I had moved to Phoenix and I was only out here a couple of months and I got approached. I was waiting for a steak and cheese at my local pub. And a guy walked up and says, you look like a musician. I'm looking for some songs for a film. And I'm like, great. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And turned out he was, and it was Johnny Knoxville's first movie, <laughs> um, a movie called desert blues. And he goes, I need a song or two. I got, I got 50. What do you need? And I ended up with 11 songs on that movie, wow. you know, only a month or two after I moved to Phoenix. And I was like, okay, here we go. Talk about a sign. Yeah. Right? You know, and then shit, a few months after that, I met Michael Bruce from the Alice Cooper group, the original, wow. and he and I ended Is that up, the Spiders? Yeah, the Spiders, yeah. the original. He wrote, you know, Norman, Mr. Nice Guy, Whoa. 18 Schools Out. He's the guy. He, he wrote? He, wrote he, he was the guy. He was the guitar player for the Holy original boy. Alice Cooper group. Run into him down by my... Uh, I was renting a rehearsal studio out. Ran into him and um, and formed a band, you know, the Billion Dollar Babies, and re- started re- re-upping his career and stuff. And Wow. And uh, just through that, met, you know, other guys. Uh, sat in with Flotsam and Jetsam for, what, six, eight months while they were in between 
drummers. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I was their kind of their workout drummer. I never joined the band. I never did any gigs with them. But uh, I was working out with them on their new material at the time. They had a drummer coming out who was still contracted with another band. I'm like, I'll work out with you guys. So did that. So I made so many connections wow. in that first stretch of time there. Um, That's incredible. Yeah, I, mean, I just like... But talk about, you know, the universe saying... Good work, homie. You're in the right. You're in the right place. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. You know. First of all, the fact that I'm not dead was pretty amazing in itself. And then, yeah, the fact that I could land on my feet, you know, but by, by call it coincidence. You know, I don't know if it's coincidence or not, but yeah. you know. And then, um, I mean, I've been lucky. I I play with some of the the, the you know what I thought were the great great Phoenix bands. I spent. Like four years, five years playing with Beat Angels. I uh, was able to do their last record. Um, we did that in like 2000 um, with Gilby Clark. And I, that led to gigs with Gilby Clark, from guitar player from Guns N' Roses. Mm. Um, you know, uh, Glass Heroes. Um, we ended up working with Rat Scabies from The Damned and stuff. So these are my some of my heroes. Wow. You know, like 11-year-old me is high-fiving me going, way to go, motherfucker. You know? Yeah. My landlord's like, hey, your rent's due. <laughs> But, you know, I mean, I still, you know, I still do what I want, you right, know, right. and uh, not sitting in a cubicle. So, right. I, you know, I can't, I can't complain. complain. Yeah. No. Well, we're pretty lucky to, to live this life and, and, and to make music on our terms, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you're doing the same thing. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, it's not easy. No. You know what goes into it. Yeah. You know, putting out the music and going, you know, records ain't selling. No. So you got to find a way to get it out there and get your brand out there. And you're mm-hmm. constantly reinventing and the new technology takes over and you're going, shit, I just got caught up with the old technology. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, the, you know, the dance yeah. and it's just, you know, and I'm a horrible, by anyone who knows me knows that I'm, they're like, you're a shitty businessman. And I'm like, yeah, I am. <laughs> I totally am. <laughs> you know, like, I, uh, what are you going to say? Right. And, and right. if I were a half-decent businessman, I, you know, I might be doing better. But I think I'm doing great. You know, everything's yeah. fine right now. It's coming together for me. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been a drummer my whole life. I've never had a well, – the only job I really had was uh, I worked at U-Haul to get free trucks from my, from my band. Oh, there you when go. When I was 17, 18 years old. That was old. smart. So, I mean, you know, besides an occasional stint in a music store teaching and stuff like that, I've never really had a job, job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I, who knew I'd even live this long? But at 63, I'm like, I've somehow connected the dots. Wow. And like, whoops, here I am. Now yeah. what am I going to do? <laughs> well, <clears throat> and, and catch us up. So now I know that you're doing, you're, you're doing a bunch of work with Louis Prima Jr. Is that mm-hmm. technically? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, tell me a little bit about how you got that gig and what that looks like and just kind of catch us up after, you know, the moving to Arizona and kind of getting, getting, landing on your feet. And, and now what, what does kind of the life look like for you? Well, yeah. So I, I told you about the, you know, Michael Bruce thing and got in, involved with him and then uh, ran into a cat named Pete Lauren. He played in a band called Trickster from New Jersey back in the day. They had a couple of hits in the late 80s, early 90s did a thing with them and throughout this all that friend I, that i met when i first moved to phoenix from new york mikey bones he might have heard him <laughs> michael gerbino god rest his soul he passed away on uh four years ago on on april fool's day i'll never forget but he's he's one of the best friends i've ever had in my life and it would any given day if the phone would ring this is back in the 80s it didn't matter when phone would ring and it's, it's mikey he goes, hey 
I got a gig for you. You know? And one day it was Miley Cyrus. Hey, I got a gig for you. Miley Cyrus looking for a drum. Gives me the number, you make the call, you know? Right. And it's just like, so um, I met Louie. Uh, I was playing up in Vegas with the Glass Heroes, punk band. And um, Mikey was living up. He ended up moving to Vegas. And he called me, hey, Playing in Vegas, me and me and my friend Lou are gonna come to the show. Put us on the guest list, son. Put him on the guest list, you know. And met Lou, this guy quote air quotes mm-hmm. Lou, right. um, and he's you know he's tatted, he's sleeved up, you know, completely. And I don't know who he is. He's, he's Mikey's buddy Lou. So I do the gig. It's a punk gig, and then we go out to uh, porn star karaoke. After that, porn some all the porn stars were having karaoke night, and it was. It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. Oh, oh I can't. I don't know the words to this, so I'm just gonna put the microphone in my vagina. <laughs> like, all right, here you go, girl. Fantastic. You know, round of applause for the talent. And uh, so it was that, that. Can we get a handy wipe? Though, it was please? Like, yeah, you know that kind of night. You can yeah. see where you know yeah. the whole thing. And next thing you know, it's daylight, and we've had a few, you know. And so it's like, you know, you fuckers scare me. I'm out of here. See you tomorrow. So we, you know, decided to have breakfast the next morning before I, you know, before I left town. And uh, and Mikey's like, hey, you know, next day, Louis, you know, Louis was there. He's like, hey, you know, want to want to play in my band? I'm like, yeah, sure. What's your band? And yeah. then he told me he's Louis Prima Jr. And I'm I'm a big fan of the three Louis from child, you know, Louis Prima, Louis Armstrong, and Louis Jordan from back in the jazz days. And you can throw, you know, but the three Louis are like, I'm like, holy shit, like what? You're Louis Prima's son? Huh. And I'm like, okay, so what do you got going on? And he told me, I'm like, dude, I am so totally on that. I mean, absolutely. And when was this? Like, what, This what was you? 2010, I joined the band. Mm. So basically, Louis handpicked all his, all his band at the time. And so he wanted somebody who could, he wanted the big band swing, but he goes, I want you to play it like Motorhead. I want you to play it like your ACDC playing riffraff. Huh. And I'm like, fuck, you talk, you're talking to the right guy. Because I love my jazz. I've never been able to play the swing professionally. Not that I can't. I just never had the opportunity. But not only do I get to play it, I get to play it like full, you know, face first into a brick wall. And I love that energy. Oh, I'm that yeah. kind of drummer. I'm that kind of person. I'm just high, like high energy wired, you know. And yeah. uh, so I went up and did the, I don't even know if it was an audition, Really, I think I had already been picked, and we went through a bunch, maybe three songs, and Louis said, all right, we're done. It was just me and the guitar player and the bass player and Louis. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest of the band wasn't there, a nine-piece band with horns and everything, and he's like, well, let's go to the bar. <laughs> so I'm like, uh, did I get the, you know, we're there for two, three hours drinking, right. you know, and I'm like, I like this guy, you yeah. know. But uh, What does he play? Does he He's sing? a trait just like his father, singer oh. and a trumpet player. Wow. Yep. And uh, just we 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 started off as it as not a tribute but a legacy act. But we did all his father's music, and but we did modernize it. We did put that you know high energy into it. Um, and we did the first record um, up in Vegas at Tone Factory. Um, all his father's stuff, just a gigolo, mm. um, you know, uh, jump, jive, and wail. Um, sing, 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 things like that. Mm. Uh, Sunday Kind of Love was all Louis Prima stuff. That a lot of people don't know that. Mm. Um, the song in the Jungle Book, I Want to Walk, uh, I'm the King of the Swingers. Mm. You know, King Louis in the Jungle Book, that was Louis Prima Sr. Mm. Was, was that character. Well, it's funny. The, the first two tunes that you mentioned, Just the Gigolo, I know from David, David Lee Roth. Roth. Yeah. 
And the second one was Jump Driving Whale, I know from Brian from Setzer. From Brian Setzer, yeah. yeah. So, and as a matter of fact, for uh, we had Brian Setzer's backup singer as our female singer for mm. a bunch of years, Leslie mm. Spencer. She's amazing. So that thing just progressed. And, and then so we did the first record, went on to my first show was Kimmel. We did Jimmy Kimmel. And I'm, you know, eight days after I got the call to do the gig. And I'm like, holy shit, you know, like no pressure there. <laughs> and then the next show was in front of like 56,000 people in New Orleans at Gretna Festival opening for it was like, I don't know, it was like ZZ Top, The Temptations. I mean, all kinds. It was just holy insane. Holy. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this is cool. This was 2010. And, uh, and I've been doing it ever since. I'm going to my 13th year now. and uh, But it's been fantastic. You That's know what awesome. I mean? And so the next two records, we did two more records. Um, but I'm writing for, for him now. So oh, wow. I'm, I'm literally, my name is in the, 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 the you know, the Louis Prima catalog. You know, wow. it's all in part of the same publishing. So my songs, I, I wrote about four or five songs for the second album and about the same for the third album that's not out yet. And um, so, you know, my name's it, it, long side of Louis Prima's in the, you know, New Orleans Heritage Jazz, you know, Hall of Fame and things like that. So wow. there's a lot of legacy with that. And I'm not getting any younger. So it's like, you know, it goes, oh, I don't want to put on me leather trousers and leap about, you know, it's not as convincing as when I was 25, you know what I'm saying? And it's just, there's something about that. And I put on a suit and tie, you know, and my dad's looking at me like, yeah, look at you, yeah. Mr. Suit and Tie. Yeah. The guy who said, I'd never wear that to work. Right. Look at you now. Yeah. So, you know, I'm wearing a three-piece suit and uh, sweating it up and oh, still, you know, making racket and stinking up the place. So I love it. That's, you know, my job literally hasn't changed. It's just the genre has right. changed, but the energy hasn't. I'm, I'm still playing super high energy stuff, and that's what I love. I love to dig into a song and just propel that fucking thing. Yeah. You know? and, and who else is in that band? Um, right now, it's Louis Prima. Uh, we have Kate Kern. She's out of New York City. She's the side vocalist, female vocalist. Um, we're in transition a lot right now. We uh, for a long time the the the, the superstar lineup was was uh, Mikey Bones on bass, Ryan McKay on guitar, my two best friends. And any given night, I'd look to my right and I'd look to my left, and there was my two buddies. That's cool. And it was just greatest. And we're touring all over the. You know, we go to Europe and stuff like that. So we're touring all over the freaking world doing That's this awesome. stuff. And you know, but right now we're in transition. Phil Clevenger, one of the original uh, members, is still on trombone. Um, Steve Smith is on. Uh, or, I'm sorry, Steve Sharp is on uh, trumpet. Um, uh, Jenny Jarnigan, local girl mm -hmm. from Phoenix here, she's on keyboards, and she's an amazing artist and solo artist mm -hmm. on her own. Yeah, I know Jenny. Yeah, yeah, Jenny. J her name came up. We needed a new keyboard player, and, and Louis said, Jenny Jarnigan. I'm like, I know her as a solo artist, and mm -hmm. it's so far away musically from what we're doing. Now, I didn't question him, but I raised an eyebrow, and she came in. She is murdering this Great. gig. She is killing it. Awesome. He couldn't have picked a better player. Yeah. I, I was blown away. She just came in and she's she's tough. We're, yeah, we're throwing down hard. We're throwing down. There's there's something moving. That so many mm -hmm. moving parts. So you could be looking at the horn section, and all of a sudden the guitar player and a bass player are off doing something crazy. Mm. It, it's it's literally mayhem on stage. It's mm. super high energy and and people. They're usually exhausted by the fifth, sixth song, you know. And we got we got another hour to go, people. Yeah. So it's just it, we serve it up really hardcore, and it, it's fun. It's it's a very bombastic. It's very loud, and it's very fast. And it's where do you play in town? 
Um, we really don't. We've only played in town like once or twice. We played the Rhythm Room, um, which is really weird because it's the old adage, you know, they say you can't come home. You know, we're playing 800,000 seat theaters right. on the road right. and we come home and we play the Rhythm Room. Right. It's it's interesting. I get, a, I get a little bit of that with Live from Laurel Canyon. Like we'll go play 1,500 somewhere yeah. that no one knows us. And then, you know, we, we get to play beautiful rooms. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the MIM is 300, you know, and it's like, oh, it's just a different energy, you know, yes, it's, very it, much, you know, but it's it's cool. I mean, I I love hearing successful touring bands, that, especially after the last couple of years, just getting out there, sharing the music, having fun, putting great bands together, playing good music and come home and, you know, you can play or not. You know, I, I just I love, again, being in a position where I get to choose. You know, I, I'm not in a situation where I got to take every gig that comes through. Right. You know, I just, yeah. You know, yeah. And that's that's a huge luxury that I'm really starting to enjoy. <laughs> yeah, man. No <laughs> doubt. No doubt. You know, because when I'm not working, you know, when I'm not on the road with Louie, I'm here. I'm back home and I'm teaching. And right. I got a studio uh, not far from here. A couple yeah. few, what, four miles from here. Yeah, very close. And um, so I'm teaching during the day. Um, I'm also playing, you know, with that original band, Escape the Hive. We've got a record coming out, I think, the end of this month. Um, I'm playing with a cat named Hollywood Yates, you know, I'm picking, he's keeping me busy. He's a, he's an interesting character. He's a, about six foot hundred, you know, muscle on muscle, uh, ex WWE wrestler oh, is a, a, a Bronco wrong wrangler, like a, like a rodeo. <laughs> he beats up bulls. Is he out of Tucson? Is it like a country? Kind he's of a country guy. And I, he's got me working, doing stuff and he plays some great original stuff, you know? So he's a legit act and he's, you know, he just came out with his own whiskey. Um, so Whoa. he's moving. So I'm, you know, I'm really been blessed to surround myself with, with people who are not only doing original stuff. Cause mm. I, I got to. I've got to play. I've got to create. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm not creating, and it's probably why I'm poor, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's because I, I, you could easily play everybody else's music. And, right. and to a degree, sooner or later, we, we, we always will. But I want to involve myself with a project that creates and records and, and, and takes something from nothing and, and leaves it behind, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Well, and then people are like, well, your videos will be on YouTube forever. It's like, yeah, playing Mustang Sally, so fucking what? Right. You know I mean? I want to create. I want, I want to make the records, you know? Yeah. And um, so that's a great thing. So when I'm home, I, I've, I've not had to take every gig like right. you're saying you right. know i can i can sparse it out parse it out and and mm. now i've got three or four projects now i'm also doing an elton john tribute act that mm. just signed with big management company out of dubai Whoa. so you know there's money in that so you know the, the idea is to make money you got to pay the bills like anybody else but at the same time how can i make money not fill my schedule and still have time to make that next record or mm-hmm. do that next work on that next film mm-hmm. project because mm-hmm. that that's where my heart's at right right you, know? you got to well you got to fill both baskets right you got to you got to keep the lights on but you also have to keep creating and 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 fueling your artistic side right? yeah otherwise yeah. you're just punching a clock and listen we've all played mustang sally a number of times <laughs> yeah. too many yeah. than we should probably you know so it's it, it's nice though and, and to be in a situation where we can do that is it's i don't know it's gratifying for me and i love hearing that that you're out there doing it and still living the dream and and doing it on a very high level with people that you love and respect i mean that's 
what I wish for everybody, you yeah. know, and you, and you got that. That's, that's super hip, man. It's, it's, you know, it's, and it, thank you. I appreciate that. And it, it's, there's a lot of love to, it, it's always, you know, you try to do the best you can, you know, there's a great story and it, it's, I don't think it's yo-yo ma, but there's this, a story about an, uh, a, like an old, um, I think he was Korean cellist and, and, you know, yo-yo ma comes to mind, but it's not him, it, but it, I probably his influence mm. and he's 94 years old and he's being interviewed and the interviewer, Kind of almost mockingly says, so what do you practice every day? And the guy goes, matter of fact, I do. Mm. And the guy thought it was quite ridiculous. And he said, you know, well, why would you do that? You know, you're 94, hint, hint. You know, and the guy says, because I think I'm just starting to get the hang of this thing. You know, <laughs> and I, there, there couldn't have been a better answer. It right. just shows that he lo just loves the instrument. Yeah. And he loves the music. And that's what really ultimately compels him, you know. And why does why do people run headlong into burning buildings in danger? You know, it's just something compels them that, that we're, we're, we're built different, yeah. you know. And I know that there's not a lot of money in it. My, my royalty checks over the years have gotten smaller and smaller and smaller to the point where I'm not even getting some anymore. Yeah. And, and that's okay, you know. You, you just go, all right, well, I got to connect some more dots right. here. But it, right. it never scares you out of the game, which, you know, kind of, I guess I'm a lifer. I just, I, I didn't choose it. I think it right. chose me. Agreed. And so you try to learn as much as you can. But there's also, like, with you, you know, I, I, I know you through Otto and, and through Johnny Zapp. Mm hmm and so it's that networking that's so important so mm -hmm. that when you do get that opportunity, when your phone does ring, go in there and do a good job. Don't be a, don't be a dick. Right. Make sure you're prepared. You know, do what they ask you to do and do it well. Yeah. And your phone's going to keep ringing. And, and you know, that's what I learned along the way. That unmanageable 19-year-old <laughs> has learned yeah. a lot, you know. <laughs> yeah. I wish I'd have learned it sooner, right. but, but, you know, it's... Uh, had I learned it sooner, I might have been dead in a hotel room from an overdose in 1993. Who knows? Right. So whatever plan was chosen for me or whatever path, you know, I've, I've, I've walked down. It, some of it's by choice and some of it's by fate. I truly believe that. But but all of it is propelled by the love of the instrument and, mm -hmm. and the love of the music, which, you know, was ingrained in me since childhood. And mm -hmm. that's never going to go away because as soon as I hear, you know, Levi Stubbs sing anything, mm -hmm. I just, I, you know, back to four tops. I'm sitting at my kitchen table, listening to dad sing along, yeah. you know, it's that yeah. kind of thing. So that, as long as that still kind of, you know, beats my heart is still beating that, um, you know, I'll take whatever they can throw at me, you know, poverty or, 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 you know, hardship. And it's not an easy game, man. No. Not a lot of people could spend three, four days on the road, let alone 30, 40 years on the road. Right. You know, and it's, um, but you do it cause that's what you do, you know? Yeah. And yeah. That's what you love. And, and it's a calling. It really is. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like people get called, you know, called to the cloth or whatever. And I feel, I feel that way, you know, uh, certainly for you, but also for me, it's like, and I've tried to walk away from it a number of times. <laughs> Amen. Right? You know? Yeah. Said, I've had enough of this shit. Yeah. I want a normal job. I'm going to, I got to, this isn't working. I'm changing. And then that's when you write a song and you're like, oh shit. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I, maybe I got a couple more in me. You know? You know? Yeah. Yep. It's a little gas in the tank. Yeah. You know, on this yeah. one. Right? You know, it's an amazing thing. And they, I've got a daughter. You know, I've, I had a daughter when I was 22 years old. So, the, you know, she saw, she was witness to the whole journey at least a good huge portion of it you know and there were times along the way the overdoses and and, and the addictions and the, you know the the 
the the you know the 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 sobrieties and all the you know all of it the triumphs and heartaches and stuff and a million times and she's my counsel she's the wise one mm-hmm. you know it's amazing and mm-hmm. uh, I'll say to her you know I think your dad's about done I think your old man's about done she goes what are you gonna do dad what are you gonna come on she cuts what are you cuts gonna right do? to the bone <laughs> she does not cuts fuck around right to the bone she's like she's fierce and she's like yeah. she knows she yeah. she's like what are you come on what are you gonna do she yeah. you know you get a job you're gonna murder somebody. <laughs> Like, uh, you're right, you're right. So, you know, she's been my counsel and good counsel the whole yeah. way. But, you know, it's a, here here I am. You know, I'll be 64 on my next birthday. And nice. A, I'm alive. B, my hands and feet still work. Right. You know, I can I can still write. I can still do, I can get to work and back. And, uh, yeah. Doesn't uh, take much more than that. No, right? just being, being there. Just show up. Yeah. You know, the rest yeah. usually takes care of itself. Yeah. So that's... It's it's well, a, amen, man. Yeah, dude. I'm glad nothing happened in that hotel room in 1993. <laughs> <laughs> we tried. God knows we tried. <laughs> well, I I really appreciate your time and and a chance to hear a little bit about your background and what you're up to. Actually, uh, how can people hear kind of what you're up to, who you're playing with? Well, r- right now, again, I'm the world's worst businessman, so I've got a Facebook page, yeah. uh, A.D. Adams, yeah. and that's pretty much it. And then uh, if, uh, you know, I, I right now I'm teaching, you know, I'm playing with Louis Prima Jr. That's uh, uh, Louis Pr- L-O-U-I-S-P-R-I-M-A-J-R.com, um, playing with uh, Escape the Hive, escapethehive.com. Um, I do lessons still. You can yeah. reach me, drummasteradams at yahoo.com. That's my email. Cool. Just get me there. I don't have fancy website. You know, I'm, yeah. like I said, I'm a terrible businessman. In spite of all this stuff, I'd probably be doing a little better if I have my affairs well, in order. But bro, there's so much on, you know, especially now, there's so much on everyone's plate. It's like, who wants to fucking update a website ah, and do right. this and do and, and social media and the blah, 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 like... So I get it, man. That 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 is a struggle for me too. To yeah. keep all that shit current and new content and blah blah blah. It's like, man, yeah, it's kind of a drag. Yeah, but. you guys can catch me around town, around Phoenix area with uh, "Candle in the Wind." That's a uh, uh, it's an Elton John tribute. Uh, really amazing. I'm not. I was never a fan of tribute acts. Yeah. And these guys asked me to sub for them, and I'm like, holy shit, they're yeah. really good. And they're not playing the tracks. Everything you hear is oh. live. See, that's Vocals nice. and everything. Yeah. All the, the strings, the guy's playing them on, on keys. They're, they're nothing's programmed. Great. Which I love that. So I'm doing that. I'm doing a show with Otto, uh, Otto Daniolo, uh, called The Recording Artist. And then it just, uh, just signed on with Roku. So you'll find oh, it yeah, on Roku. Yeah. yeah. So big news there. That's awesome. Um, I've got something coming up uh, with uh, Drum Talk TV which is a big drum media outlet. Um, I'm hosting uh, and emceeing their 10th anniversary gala cool. in uh, Las Vegas on May 20th. So that's a big deal. Every great drummer from around the world is going to be there. Cool. Um, you know, and I was told, you should play a drum solo. I'm like, no fucking way. Yeah, right. I'm not playing a drum solo in front of Steve Gadd and no. Vinny Kaliuta. Fuck no, you. <laughs> not going to happen. Not even going to happen. No, no. Just get up there and just not, just, <laughs> no, not going to happen. So, I, you know, I got that coming up. And, uh, you know, and I just got to thank, too, I, you know, my endorsement, you know, one of those things when you're a kid, you always, yeah. I always wanted my name on a piece of equipment, you know. And yeah. uh, so I've been able to get some endorsement deals along the way. So, Peisty Symbols, uh, Aquarian Drumheads, TJ. Uh, custom maple drums and i left one out heisty symbols uh, vic firth drumsticks yeah, yeah. and awesome. so they've been really kind to me along the way and ultimate ears have been really good sure microphones have been yeah. really supportive of 
of what we do. So I have endorsement deals with those companies, Great. and they're incredibly supportive. They're going to be involved with this Drum Talk TV thing coming up. Cool. And, so trying to stay busy, trying to keep yeah. the bubble in the air, mate. You well, know, you're fucking doing it, man. And it's it, it's been really inspiring to hear your story, and um, I look forward to he- hearing you play with any of these projects because I I, the, I love your energy and I love your passion, and I and Thank I you. and I know that you translate that to your instrument. I, I try to, you yeah, know. Yeah, that's it. Well, Ad, I appreciate you. Cheers, Cheers. brother. Yeah. Thanks for coming over. Thanks for having me, man. Nice this is a lot you. of fun. Yeah, yeah, good to see you too. We'll see you soon. Absolutely. Cheers. <laughs>